Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Connor Dockery from the Dublin band The Scratch, who released their debut album Couldn't Give a Rats at the tail end of March, right in the middle of lockdown season. It was released three months early. They had been planning a release in the middle of summer, which is probably their main time to shine because they're a band who are really known for their live performances. And uh, if you've been to a festival in Ireland over the past year, 18 months, chances are you've either seen the scratch and absolutely loved them and thought that they were an absolute riot or you know someone who saw them and they were the talk of the festival because those seem to be the only two options when it comes to the Scratch Live. So they did a YouTube live stream on St. Patrick's Day, the same day as Mary Walliper. So I've kind of grouped them together in my head, maybe just because of that, maybe for another couple of reasons as well. And that went down so well that I think that they kind of moved up the album from the original slated release date. They released a video as well for the first song on the album pull your jocks up there's a great video for that as well which sees the front man of the band daniel lang lango to his friends and bandmates socially distant in a forest screaming his uh screaming his head off so you can check that out as well um you can actually listen to that track at the end of my chat with connor which is coming up now and i'm gonna play you before we get into the chat a bit of my favorite song on the album which we actually talk about uh specifically in the chat so i thought you might like to get a taster of it first it's called birdie it's the longest song on the album it's over seven minutes long so i'm only going to play you about uh, less than a third of that so you can check it out uh the album is available on the scratch.ie you can listen to it on streaming services as well and you can buy uh an irish flag spattered uh vinyl of the album too and also like you've got to check out the album cover as well because we talk about that too in the chat and it's an amazing album cover it's probably the best album cover of the year so far always on the move I'm bridge superstar a social butterfly Always had your finger on the pulse of family life. You lie structure was your spirit crusher. It kicked the sand upon your fire, and I could never look your pain in the eye. Well, you're there now With your beloved one And your first song You've got five years of walking To catch up on Don't worry about us You're still in our lives I salute you, baby I guess we'll start off by asking just how how are you getting on during uh the COVID-19 thing you're you, you were just at the shops there a little bit of a traumatic uh exercise but had to be done yeah um yeah I'm doing really well actually to be honest oh, I don't know like I guess in, in, a, in a way 
in a way life at the moment kind it suits me in a little bit i work from home anyway i'm a freelance videographer so i'm never short of like finding stuff to do for myself you know it's actually been it's been a super productive two weeks for myself just in terms obviously i had like three months where it cancelled like overnight uh which was crazy but other than you know aside from that i've been just getting getting a chance to to learn a bunch of a couple of new pieces of software get better at certain techniques in my the whole video world and um yeah the scratch have been writing again as well or you know i've got a bunch of new tunes there i live with lango uh and jordo and so you know we're kind of you know we're not not really short of things to do so it's uh i'm enjoying it to be honest i think i probably won't be saying it (laughs) in six weeks time you know i probably won't be saying this but right now it's actually quite nice Uh, it's quite a peaceful existence actually (laughs) (laughs) and like just from say the point of view of the band of the scratch like are you absolutely gagging for a gig yeah like that that uh i mean we were supposed to play the academy last night uh oh okay so that was like that was a that was a, a bit of a reality check you know it was uh that gig had sold out in like four days and it was part of like a bigger irish tour and you know it was yeah yesterday was kind of tough to swallow but um yeah we're like we are dying to gig but also i think releasing the album in the manner that we have definitely has helped it's kind of kept our spirits up it's kind of helped it's helped with with us kind of writing new material it's almost like closing the book on that chapter and i think if we hadn't released the album i think we would be struggling a bit more with that with the whole situation but it's just it's nice to have gotten that out and it'll definitely tie us over for a few months until we can gig uh but yeah it sucks man it's i mean it's it's our favorite thing to do it's our favorite thing about being in a band you know certainly my my favorite thing anyway is being able to gig and being in that environment and yeah so it sucks not being able to play these songs yeah but uh ah it'll it'll work itself out you know yeah i'm like how far ahead um has stuff been cancelled for you guys or postponed for you guys like do you actually have a gig circled in the calendar like this will hopefully be the first one that we're actually able to play not not any i think um we've we're doing a festival there was a festival in the in the uk at the end of august mid to late august and uh i think we're 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 kind of hoping for that that would that could be potentially be our first gig of the year you know so uh yeah, but even that's not looking great. I don't know. It's um, maybe that one might be fine because it's it's a smaller one. It's like a heavy music festival over in Guildford, and it's not like your Glastonbury's or your picnics where they need people on site for like four months in advance, kind of thing. So hopefully that'll go ahead. But we yeah, everything from we've had about ten festivals, Irish tour, UK tour, all gone. <laughs> It was, it was like, it was going to be, it was like by far the biggest year we've had. And yeah, we were, we were finishing it off with a big Dublin show and at Christmas and that's all been, that's all gone now as well. So, um, yeah, so hopefully end of August or maybe Electric Picnic. I don't know. They're optimistic, but it's so hard to know. Yeah. Is it, is that kind of like, you know, obviously the human toll of, of the pandemic is really awful, but just like from an artistic point of view and just from like 
you know, there's not that much money in the music industry anyway. So having to cancel tours and festival appearances like that, it, it, is, is it just like devastating for a band like you guys where the trajectory is very much like up at the moment? I would have to say, I, I actually, I think this album has kind of saved us a little bit. I think we're actually extremely lucky to have this, to be sitting on this album when this happened. You know, I think that's definitely given us a lift mentally. Uh, financially, it's even given us a lift. But in terms of like not being able to gig for like six to seven to eight months, it's like like you wouldn't believe how much money bands are losing out on, you know, including ourselves. And we're only really on the come up, I guess. Like we're not even, you know, we're not even there yet. But like even for a band of our size to, to lose that amount of income is is uh it's pretty pretty devastating but i don't know and luckily we weren't we, we we were a little bit luckier i would say in that we we hadn't booked any flights yet we hadn't invested necessarily in any of our production as of yet so we didn't owe any money but we we are down a lot of money so it's uh you know yeah it's it's it it's definitely Maybe some maybe some bands are worse off than us, but I think every every artist is taking a hit on this, you know, because live gigs are that's where it's at money wise, you know. Yeah. Um. So I guess maybe before we talk about um like that chapter, the the debut album couldn't give a rat. Maybe we'll talk about how the scratch started because we were all four of you guys in a metal band called Red Enemy. Was that how it all started? Yeah, three three of the four of us were so. Okay. Myself, Lango, and Jordo. So myself, the other guitar player, and Lango, the Cajon player. We were all in Red Enemy for... I mean, me and Lango started that band when we were like 16, 17. So we did that for the guts of 10 years. Um, Jordo joined maybe like three to four years into that, you know. Um, so yeah, we were, we were doing that for pretty much our whole... 20s you know and then yeah and in terms of like how the scratch started it was so the three of us live together and still do so i just remember we came back off a uk tour with red enemy in late 2015 and it had just it was kind of like we all looked at each other and we kind of knew without really making it a big deal that maybe we were going to take a break from it maybe we were we were going to just take some time and maybe focus on something else you know and i'd say within a matter of weeks after coming home from that tour the scratch had essentially started and it was uh yeah it was it was a real it was a real random kind of chance thing uh like jordan lango around that time had they they'd always wanted to, to try singing they'd wanted to try you know just being in the metal world is like you get wrapped up in it it's an it's an intense genre of music and it's almost like all you listen to for like long periods of time at at times and around that time we were all starting we were all getting into loads of different stuff and so jordan and lango were they were trying to express themselves in other ways and they just i had just recently got an acoustic guitar so it was (laughs) i was looking for a serious departure from metal so I like got myself an, an acoustic. I was learning some like Ben Howard stuff and 
some folk music and and yeah one day Jordan and Lango were in the kitchen of our gaff and they had come across this song called Gold by a band called Interference um Irish band uh, but there's a cover on YouTube of Glenn, Glenn Hansard does with his band and they were like oh you know this has harmonies it has vocals it's a great song it's just acoustic guitar oh let's you know let's learn it or whatever and uh, so they they were in the kitchen one day learning that tune Jordo had my guitar and then he figured out the tuning uh, that Glenn was using in that video so they were gone they were learning the tune and then they just kind of looked at each other and they were like this fucking sounds cool man they were like this tuning just there's something interesting about this and then within an hour they had written they just wrote like a whole instrumental song uh, using that tuning um and they were like, whoa, that was that was mad. And they called me down that, that evening. And they were like, you need to hear this. They played it for me. And I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> I was like, what What even is that? I was like, what? You know, I was blown away. And uh, that tune was actually the Drunken Crisp Fingers. It was the first track on our, our old songs EP. It was like an instrumental EP we did. And they just wrote it. And then I remember... We were like trying to think of like an ending for the song and then we like we just basically took a part of a red enemy tune and put it at the end of that song and it was just a kind of eureka moment we were like this is kind of there's something in this you know and that was that was it that was the start of it it was weeks after we finished that other tour and yeah it just kind of snowballed from there really why did red enemy end was it just like you'd kind of had enough of it like you'd done it for 10 years like and it was less exciting than it was and and what kind of metal was it was it like heavy black metal or yeah like it technically still hasn't ended oh okay <laughs> uh we haven't like announced anything but it's been four years now so um but yeah no it, it was kind of an unsaid thing at the time and yeah we just we've been through like kind of we've gone through a pretty intense two or three years um we like wrote an album we signed to a label in la went to america for like three months toured the states recorded the album over there and then basically the, the label collapsed the, the label basically kind of collapsed while we were there and shit just kind of went it just started getting pretty pretty yeah negative uh very quickly and nothing really happened necessarily it just we got the album done we came home but then they fucked up the release of it um you know and, and this was this was over like and then about a year later yeah we just we just we were just completely burnt out at that stage like we didn't want to get in a room together nothing was inspiring us from that genre of music um it was just one of those things you know we were just burnt out and we just needed to do something totally different i would call it like groove metal you know it was like super like rooted in like groovy riffs and pantera influenced but then we had like breakdowns and chops kind of like mashuga you know heavier bits like more the kind of hardcore like parkway drive and new metal or metalcore bands that were coming out in the 2000s and go there was a lot of gojira in there um it's just kind of a mishmash of all that kind of metal and you know vocals yeah he was just screaming his head off you know on every tune and it was just we're just trying to be as heavy as we could and as groovy as we could basically 
if that kind of transition then that you're talking about, like listening to interference and actually finding that like really interesting what they were doing. Like I always think that trad and the rise of folk is like one of the big stories of the last decade in Irish music, you know, like the likes of maybe folkier stuff like the gloaming or something like that. But then you've also got Langham who are doing something, I guess, similar to you guys. Like, it's not quite metal, but it's, it's kind of like drone type of music. But, like, were were you kind of starting to pay attention to, to that around, like, 2013 or 2014 or something like that? Whereas, like, before you wouldn't have even thought about trad music as being, like, quote-unquote cool. Yeah, man, you said it. It was the gloaming. They, they were... That was they the band. The they, that was the band. Like when we, when we all heard the glow. I mean, whenever that first album came out, I can't remember what year, but yeah, like thirteen, fourteen, around that those years, it was just we just heard folk music and trad music, put in a whole other. It was just it was just uh, presented in a whole new way. There was something punk about it. There was something cool about it. They were the band. They they opened the door, and then, uh, you know, following that, it would have been, we would like we all would have gone back listening to, you know, a lot of Damien Dempsey, the Dubliners, Damien Rice. We just we just went we just went down a rabbit hole of like Irish old Irish folk musicians, and then Jordo particularly was got really into like, you know, proper trad. You know, and then, then you know, Lancome, De- Lancome were definitely, that first Lancome record definitely, uh, that definitely had a big impact on, on the lads, particularly Jordan and Pete's. I remember that kind of followed on from when the, gl- the gloaming burst on the scene. I remember when that first Lancome record was doing the rounds, that was like another step again. It was like, it, I don't know, it just, it just playing that type of music just seemed more accessible all of a sudden you know and i think you're seeing the the fruits of that now you know there's so many there's never been probably more young you know folk trad influenced artists and bands coming out you know and those those um your lancums and your gloamings were really opened the door big time yeah kind of a double part question like would you actually consider yourselves a trad band or is it some other kind of hybrid of it and would you actually feel part of a certain scene as well that's kind of happening like you know i would think of you and the merry wallopers kind of in, in a similar vein no we, we we wouldn't call ourselves trad at all um okay. I th- yeah i think it's uh it's definitely something that we've uh like i would say we're more of a metal band than we are a trad band do you know what i mean like even though we're not really metal either it's just yeah, I, I think I think there is there was there was trad elements early on and there's still trad trad elements in the songs in terms of just the very nature of the tuning we use. It it, it sounds very it's got it's got that spirit of trad a lot of the times. It's super rhythmic what we do. Um but we we we've we ne- we weren't necessarily influenced by trad from that. That kind of the ry- rhythmic stuff came more from metal. Um and the tuning just kind of i guess the tuning spoke for itself so it uh yeah no we, we were definitely not a trad band um i think the press definitely have put us in that they've definitely put us in that place and i understand why you know because there is a bit of a revival happening there's a lot of amazing artists like junior brother mary wallopers 
Um, particularly Mary Wallabers because they've got a quite a humorous slant on on everything they do, and we definitely do as well. Um, but we don't really sound anything alike. You bar like maybe like a tiny little thing, you know. So it's like, um, I understand why we're we're definitely in those categories, but um, we're we'd be more influenced by like metal and rock uh, than we would be actual trad, but. Um, it doesn't bother us at all, you know. Like I think it's, I think it's cool. I think it's cool to be, to be talked about in the same conversation as Lancome and Wallapers and stuff because we fucking love those bands, you know. So, um, and it's such, it's so early days in this whole new thing. I feel like, um, and like I feel like, I I certainly struggle to kind of categorize us yet, you know. Um, maybe when the dust settles on this album, it, it might be a bit clearer as to where, <laughs> where we sit, we sit, you know, cause, um, even the new stuff we're writing, it's like some seriously, there's bits that are super like metally, <laughs> you know, so. If you were to just pick up the electric guitars again and just play the scratch songs on electric, would it, would it instantly be a metal band again? Like, you know, no question. Yeah, man, like. I wouldn't say it'd be far off. I I always remember the, f- the very first gig the Scratch played was uh, we did a gig in the Orchard in Smithfield. It was a it was an old bar that was that used to be there. And it was just a free show thing we did, and we were like, "Fuck it, we might as well try and play these songs in front of people," you know. As soon as that gig finished, we played for like a half an hour. I just kind of looked at the lads and I was like, "That was that felt no different than a Red Enemy gig," you know. We were like. I was sweating as much. I was probably my adrenaline was like as pumping, and I probably headbanged more. <laughs> it, I probably I still I probably headbang more than I do than I did in Red Enemy. So it's like I don't think that'll ever leave us. You know, it, it's always going to be a huge part of anything any of us do. I would imagine when you've lived in the metal world for like twenty years or so, it's. It's always going to be witchy, you know. So yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say the tunes would be far off if we played them yeah. on electric, you know. Just continuing on from say that first gig. When was was the Rory Gallagher Festival in Donegal? Was that the moment where everything kind of clicked into place for you? Like you know, an audience, you know, kind of saw what you were, and you kind of like you know says went viral. I wouldn't say it clicked into place. Yeah, I mean. That you know, in fairness, that probably was a, a huge turning point early on. It, I I think I feel like it went from it went from like something that wasn't serious at all, and we to, and, and it went from something we had no vision for and no real big plans for. It went from that to kind of like you know off the back of that that video, Whelan's offered us a free show in the main room. So we went from like playing two gigs in pubs to like headlining the main room of Whelan's and the room was packed. So it was just like, but, and I remember, I remember when we got that offer in, it was like, we just, we were like, we're not ready to like gig. We're not ready to do this yet, you know, but that video kind of forced us to, you know, um, yeah, it just forced us to you know what let's let's give this a go and then we kind of played our first proper venue gig then after that and then yeah it just kind of went from there but yeah it was probably that that was the moment it changed from being 
not serious to kind of serious, you know. So, like, did you not have any plans for the band at all? You were just like, let's do this and let's just have some fun. Let's have some crack. Yeah, totally. Why? Because like, because like, it just wasn't fun in in the kind of the run up. Maybe like the la- that last bit with Red Enemy. Yeah, exactly. It. Uh, we need. We just needed something different, but we also needed something that was lighthearted, and we needed something that had no pressure on it. You know, we had many conversations early on about let's not give a shit about this stuff and let's let's value what's what's actually important, you know? Like, we definitely had a lot of those conversations and we learned so much from that Red Enemy situation. Particularly, we learned, particularly we learned what wasn't important. And we, we, we kind of experienced firsthand the... Um, the repercussions of caring too much about things that don't actually matter. Um, so going into the scratch, we very we were just like, you know, we were like, okay, this is this is how we're going to approach it, and it's it's going to be X, Y, and Z, you know, and and we'll just have fun with it and and not take it seriously. So I think like these days, it's it's kind of gotten so it's just it's gotten infinitely bigger than we had ever planned. So we're like it's definitely like an inner battle among the group like constantly is like trying to trying to uh maintain that early mindset and trying to trying to keep those types of things sacred but also you know take it as far as we can you know um so that's a that's a tough battle at times um because early on it very much wasn't it was very much only about what we wanted to do and and just having fun and, and it still is it's just when shit gets bigger you know there's more things coming at you there's more opinions there's more people involved there's more money so it's uh i think we've done i think we've, we've still maintained that attitude um but it's definitely definitely takes work and i mean live does seem to be like uh the avenue where everybody maybe everything clicks into place with people who've heard about the scratch i suppose like you were the talk of um like every festival that you played last year i imagine that everybody was kind of talking about you at the end of the weekend and like it culminated uh for me at um other voices where i think you were playing like on the on the sunday evening or something of other voices down in dingle and it was like that was you were the only act that people were talking about that day like you know it was it's mad like how how quickly it kind of like rolls and like you know it, it just the hype begins i suppose yeah yeah that was that hope that four or five month period last at the end of last year was that's when things started again a little bit crazy you know it was uh and and other voices particularly that that was probably our probably the most special gig we did all of last year you know and you know we did a sold out wheelands and a sold out mutton factory and that other voices set just had something more to it and i think i think we were just we were kind of on top form we felt like we we were on top form in terms of like our live show um just just having like friends and and peers and people we didn't know like in that tent at other voices was like it just created a bit of a special buzz and yeah i think after that show it was like i think people i think we we all realized that okay maybe this just seems to be connecting with people on a whole other level um that none of us have even experienced in any other bands we've been in and it seems to be live 
that that connection really forms when people are standing there watching us at gigs you know and people close to us have kind of explained what happens in the room at our gigs you know so i'm i've never felt it personally because i can't but like i'm i'm aware that it's a pretty special place to be um, and i'm aware that there's quite a unique connection between us four and, and the people at our gigs and I just don't I I don't really know why that is. I think I think it's just a mixture of everything, our personalities and the music and whatever, you know, but it's a pretty amazing thing to be involved in, you know. Maybe without naming any names or venues or anything. Have you had a gig where it was flat for any reason like where you were like what the fu- like maybe when maybe early on like after that first gig, you know, where you're like where where you're trying to recreate an atmosphere or anything like that or has it always kind of been natural and like uh enthusiastic yeah i think i think it probably has to be fair like we we did one or two big support slots that were just kind of shit you know and they always really are so it wasn't really a surprise it was just like fuck it yeah sure we'll do them but uh yeah i think um i think it's it's been majority enthusiastic no matter what where or what we play um, and I and I do I think that comes from that year or two of busking, you know. I don't really say much live, but Lango is very much the front man on stage and stuff. And he he claims that all that year or two of busking and the Rory Gallagher thing and all those experiences pretty much have influenced his approach to the live show. Um, and and he Lango himself. He comes from a background of um, he's played a lot of he's played a lot of awkward gigs with like he's in this a group called the Hit Machine and they do like all sorts of like it's like a drum group and they do loads of like they play it like the Ireland games and they do loads of different things um, and he he claimed like he said himself he's he's been in the most awkward positions and he's had to like persevere. Um, and he he applies that to the scratch, you know. And I I think I don't think a lot of people know that about him. Um, and I really do think that's why. I it's a massive part of why the live show is the way it is is because of him, and his his ability to just be get be get on on the crowd's level and just speak to them like a normal person and but be funny at the same time and still get he still gets them to do what he wants to do you know and that all that all comes from the busking years and and stuff he's done you know so yeah we're really lucky to have him um because some man some games i've gone out and i'm like i'm like in in myself you know and i'm like oh i just don't know like it's like a weird buzz and uh blah 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 and then i just look over and he's just the exact same you know and i'm like ah fuck it you know and it's it's great it's uh it's a very special skill to have and and he definitely has it and uh i sure i definitely wouldn't do it anyway man uh i, I kind of didn't realize that busking was kind of uh an integral part for you guys was was that something that you were doing um for for two years you said so in the lead up to roy Gallagher, we pretty much solely busk we realized that we could do a busking thing with the scratch Ah, oh, we can make some money off that so busking became like a very regular thing Every, pretty much every weekend in Dublin to be honest for about a year and a half and then we used to go to Galway we used to you know we used to travel around and 
that all kind of culminated in the Roy Gallagher thing when we just were like, "Fuck it, let's just go up and busk." We don't, we don't, we don't even have a slot at the festival. Let's just go up and busk on the street, you know. So that was like, there were some of the most, there were some of the most fun times. That year and a half busking was just, it was amazing. It was just, I don't know anyone that can busk. I really, I really urge them to do it. Um, I know not every group can do it, and not every artist is comfortable doing it, but. It really is a, a, an amazing way to experience playing music to people, you know. Um, and you learn so much about, like, about yourself, in a way. You know, you, you learn a lot about just kind of leaving your expectations at the door. And it's like the most raw form of performance, you know, when you're just on the street. And people can take it or leave it, you know. And um, So, yeah, we did that for a year and a half before we even really start play, started playing venues you know so that was massive that was, that was um yeah and as i said lango lango claims that that was that was all really really important in his development as like a a front man i guess and i guess talking about that kind of performance and going to another one that live stream that you did on saint patrick's day was that kind of the impetus to release the album early yeah like <clears throat> that was that was probably the that was probably the turning point like we we had we had we had like toyed with the idea to be honest we 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 wanted to release it in march anyway that was the original plan to have it out before our irish tour this month and then between one one thing and another you know a couple of labels got involved and there was management there and we we eventually kind of came to the decision that we would push the release off to till late may june because we were we decided we were gonna we weren't gonna go to label and we were gonna do it ourselves and so we had to like wait for vinyls to drop and there was just a lot of stuff in the works then and we wanted to hit the ground running in that in that sense um so we had our plan in place and um yeah then covid19 happened and then i remember doing yeah i remember we did the stream and then I was like hung over maybe two no it was hardly the next morning it was the next morning yeah we were like we went yeah we got pissed after that stream in the gaff and then uh I remember waking up uh and I was just lying on the couch downstairs and I was like just looking at the reaction basically to the stream and I was just going through social media and I don't know I, I just got this I was just like wait a second I was like this is I, I was just like, I just, I, I was like, I really think we should just release this album probably sooner rather than later, you know, and just kind of throw the book out the window. And and then I hopped on Skype with the lads that evening um, and I kind of knew they'd all be down, you know, like half the band wanted, wanted the album out anyway. So it was like, I just put it to the lads and they were all like 100%, let's do it. And myself and our manager's original plan was to maybe space it out like three, four weeks and maybe release some singles um, or like do some videos and stuff. And then the lads were just like, let's just put the fucking thing out next Friday. <laughs> and I was like, Grant, let's do that. Um, so we just there and then uploaded it to Distro. It was like, Grant, I was like, we'll put up, I was like, I'll put a post out on Monday. Tell everyone it's coming out Friday. We had a video ready to go anyway. Let's release that Wednesday. Done. And that was it. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> And then we just did it, yeah. It was 
it was mad. There's a real kind of rousing element to the album, you know, like that's maybe where the, the link with the Mary Wallopers kind of comes in, you know, that you kind of can get the crowd going. And I guess that's really hard to kind of capture on the album. Like, have you ever had kind of difficulties, like maybe even with this album of actually trying to trying to capture that? Yeah, like I, I can't say we ha- we did, we, we have or we did. Like the studio experience for us is very much get in get it done and get out you know a lot of it we come up on on the spot you know a lot of it we come up come up with like in the studio um so it's it's not a very drawn out process the 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 recording process you know so that probably works to our advantage to be honest i think if we had more time to think about that or maybe more time in the studio to like overthink that uh it may not work you know so we just get in we track as many, you know, 11 songs in like 10 days or something we did. It was way too little time. <laughs> uh, we just barely got it done. So, yeah, and it just, it, it was what it was, you know. So, no, I can't say we have those conversations really. It's it's just like, here are the tunes. Just go in, put them down, and that's it. And I think it, it works. That that works for us anyway. Uh, might not work for everyone, but that that type of process definitely works for us. Do you record as a band, or do you all record your stuff individually? Uh, we did, we did, we recorded live up until the whole buzz last year, and then since then we've multi-tracked. Yeah, and I th- I think my highlight on the album is Birdie. I think it's just like all all of these, you know. I'll I'll keep I'll keep using the word trad even though like you do, you kind of say that you're not trad at all but like it's it's the longest track on the album by a, a good bit and that's kind of always what I'm kind of attracted to in like kind of trad albums you know where like the these ideas kind of just come along and they kind of develop over the course of seven minutes like maybe tell me about that track in particular and like what it's about and how it came together yeah that I mean. It very well. It very nearly didn't make it on. Um, so Lango wrote that entire tune, including the guitar. He 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 wrote that tune maybe two years ago, if not longer. And I remember he showed it to us at the time. It we did rework it slightly for the album, but it was pretty much what it is. Yeah, he just showed it to us, and and we were bl- I was we were blown away. It was like he definitely wasn't the singer. He is now back then, but I just remember we were like, just for someone like him to come out with a song like that was, yeah, uh, it was it was a pretty special special thing, and uh, yeah, we didn't really do anything with it for whatever two or so years, and then when we were putting together the album, I think Jordo in particular was like, man, Birdie, you know, like we need to like get that going again, and Lango was like, ah, oh, I don't know, and. It's like I don't really know if it's a scratch a scratch song, you know, and and we were like, man, like it's fucking <laughs> everything's a scratch song. Like there, like there aren't there aren't really any boundaries at the moment, you know. So let's just let's let's see if we can rework it. Let's see if we can get something going. And you know, we all knew he'd he'd come on a lot as a vocalist and that he could give it another stab, you know. And yeah, we just we I'd say. The week before we went into the studio, maybe we just like r- r- jammed it in his room one night. We were like, "Yeah, that works," and then put it down. And yeah, it's fucking amazing. It's uh, yeah, and it's about it. Lango wrote it about his granny, and yeah, just it's just it's great that people are loving it. Like a lot of people 
really like that song and I guess it's probably a bit of an unexpected one uh, for us and I, we love that too you know and and I've got to ask you about the album cover, which is uh, amazing. It's impossible to look away from it. It's kind of like the four of you dressed uh, quite uh, in dapper fashion, all lying on top of each other. That must have been a, a, f- a fun shoot. Ah, yeah. Um, God, I'm so glad we did that. It's still <laughs> like it. We're I'm still brings me so much joy. Again, we were like trying to put together ideas for the cover, and we 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 pretty much had the title. Um, at that point and we were yeah I think we were just brainstorming one day and then I think Jordo suggested what if we went down like that cheesy family photo route and we were just like oh yeah and then and then I, I always remember there's this there's this one Lango has in in his parents house that's nah, fucking hilarious like and uh and then I started to remember I was like we were just remembering all like pretty much all of our our generation like has those photos in their parents house you know so we were just instantly drawn to it we were like that's that's fucking hilarious if we could do something like that that would be so funny and and then uh i think initially we (laughs) initially we were like why don't we actually do the full experience like get a family photographer go to one of those like (laughs) Go go to one of those like photographers and do it do it proper, you know. And then <clears throat> turns out they don't even. Well, it turns out they're mad money for one, and they they don't even give you digital versions of the photos. So we were just like, ah, oh, fuck that. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, I just a friend of mine's and a great photographer. We were like, why don't we just let's just get him, let's book a day, let's go and do it. We we found a load of reference photos online and. I, I bought the I bought the Polo Nex and Marks and Spencer that day, <laughs> like so. It was it was just yeah we we just booked the time, had a rough idea, and just went for it. And yeah, I, it was always going to be that particular photo as well. I remember, <laughs> I think we got home from the shoot that night, and my mate sent me a screenshot of or sent me a photo of his laptop screen, and uh, it was that photo, and. Uh, Ah, uh, we were just like, fuck, okay, I think we have something here, you know, and then I just put together the rest, I just slapped anything on, <laughs> I was like, it doesn't matter, just put the scratch on it, put the album name, Grand. I I think that you're at a point which so many bands would love to hit and they just can't, where like, you've got this humorous aspect, but you're also like, deadly serious about it as well, like, you know, it's such a hard thing, I think, to actually hit on, and I don't, I don't know how bands do it, I think like, it sounds like it's just been all all natural for you guys from the start that you're not trying to be something that you're not or to do something that you're not comfortable with i think that's so hard for some bands particularly like new bands when they're starting out you know like they might have an idea in their head but maybe that's good that you had red enemy and you've got like 10 years of experience with it that you're like fuck it we've seen we've seen it all before and you know like there's no point trying to make something work if it's not fun that's the key point to all of this that it, that it has to be fun for you guys yeah and that it has to be 100% ourselves at all times and i'd say there were, that was definitely part of the conversations early on that we were having but I'm te- like i'm telling you there's no way we we could be doing the scratch the way we're doing it if we hadn't have done red enemy that's essentially the most valuable thing we learned from those 10 years was 
what actually matters is being yourself. We were fortunate enough to really, just to really realize that, like really realize it to the point that like, there was no other option but to just be 100% ourselves. And and I think that's why, I think that's why it's hard for, for artists because you have to go through something shite like that. You have to not be yourself for, for years to, you you know, sometimes sometimes it takes, that's what it takes for you to realize something. You know, some artists have it from the get-go. Other artists figure it out quick. A lot of artists never do. Um, but that was it, yeah. We, we just realized that we, this has to be, this is not going to work. Nothing's going to work unless it's 100% ourselves. And that was it we just realized that and we just never looked back really and so i would say it's none there is no all of it is just natural you know um and it probably sounds a bit wanky to say that but it it actually is like i we don't know any other way of doing it now really it's funny it's it's just funny when you it's funny what happens when you when you when you just be yourself and and you you express yourself through your art you know because people connect with it on a whole other level. And I think w- with the scratch, we're lucky. You know, there's a huge amount of luck involved as well. Like, we could we could still be being ourselves and no one would, gi- no one would give a fuck. Um, but we're lucky that us being ourselves, like that album cover or like some of the lyrics or whatever, we're just lucky that that, that resonates with people, you know? Um, and that helps. It helps people, it seems, you know? And, but... Uh, yeah, it was. That's that's the number one thing. As soon as we lose that, it's over. You know. Cool. I I think that that's maybe we'll leave it there on that kind on that kind of note. Uh, it was great chatting to you and like best luck with the album. Like strange time to be releasing it, but it seems like it's really like connected with people and like you're happy with with how it's been put out and everything. And so hopefully, like twenty twenty can be salvaged and like you'll get like half a year of gigs out of it or, or like a quarter of the year of gigs out of it and stuff and it'll be okay by the end of it yeah man thank you very much thanks for your time and yeah it's uh, uh we'll see what happens <laughs> it's gonna be it's so mad it's it's already hard, very hard to comprehend what's going on you know how what's what's even gonna happen when this is all done but um yeah we'll see we'll see what happens Take a bell, you're a top class cunt, you are to the kitty of crack. Fill them lungs with a well earned breath, there's plenty of time for death. No use crying over spilled bop juice, it's gonna go bops up one of these days. So get your hole up, pull your bleeding jocks up, you are your own secret weapon. <laughs>